the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Charles Spurgeon, who was called the Prince of Preachers in the 1800s, was used mightily of the Lord. And this is what he had to say. The great Charles Spurgeon said, I am the, the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. John Henry Jowett, who may not be familiar to some of you, but was a great preacher in England and also in New York City. He wrote to a friend in 1920, and this is what he said to his friend. You seem to imagine that I have no ups and downs, but just a level of lofty stretch of, of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy. By no means. I am often perfectly wretched and everything appears most murky. Everyone has had periods of discouragement in their life. It's part of the human experience. The problem for many of us is that we don't understand the source or the cure for discouragement. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will give us the first step in the journey back from that black hole. The prophet Elijah is our model for this study, taken from the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. We'll be looking at chapter 19, so get your Bible and open it to that passage. We're glad you are along with us for today's class. Pastor Steve has been pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel for over 30 years. His verse-by-verse -verse explanation of Scripture gave rise to the name of this program. We know it will be of real help and encouragement to you. At the close of the program, I'll tell you how you can get a copy of this study. Now, here's Pastor Steve to lead our discussion. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to be studying the Lord willing this morning, verses 1 through 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid. He arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It's enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, Arise, eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stoves, stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, and killed thy prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. And it came about when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant torn down thine altars, and killed thy prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you've arrived, you shall anoint Hazael, king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall come about that the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elijah shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. When Oliver Cromwell, the English general and statesman, sat for his portrait, the artist proposed that he cover a disfiguring wart by resting his head on his hands, the blunt Cromwell said gruffly, No, paint me as I am, warts and all. When the divine artist, the Holy Spirit, paints a portrait of a man or a woman in Scripture, he also paints him as he is, warts and all. In fact, one of the great proofs that the Bible is the Word of God, that God is the author of Scripture, is the Bible's honesty about people. If men wrote the Bible, you could be sure that they would only write about the triumphs and the victories of its characters. Certainly they would omit or at least minimize the faults and the weaknesses of Bible characters. If men wrote the Bible and authored it, they would exalt their good points only. But Bible characters are presented to us as real people, people who triumphed and people who fell. People who won victories and people who lost battles. Real people. People you can relate to. Who, who sometimes did what was right before the Lord. And real people who sometimes failed miserably and didn't do what was right before the Lord. Since God is the author of Scripture, we read about such things as, as Abraham lying. David committing adultery. We read about the anger of, of Moses. Meek man but angry. We also read about the rebellion of Jonah. We read about the prejudice of Peter. We read about the, the strife and the argument that Paul and Barnabas had. And we read about these things because God is the author of Scripture. And this morning, we want to read about another man who failed miserably before the Lord. We're going to examine a defeated Elijah. Now, that's unusual. If you've been studying with us for the last few weeks, you have not seen Elijah defeated. You have seen him with one victory after another. 
But now he's he's defeated. He's discouraged. He's he's depressed. And we want to study that. We've we've already seen him on the mountaintop of success as he called down fire from heaven. And he defeated 450 false prophets of Baal. But today we're going to see him in the valley of despair. He runs away, runs away, quits the ministry. That's what this is all about. He thinks he's a failure. He's running from the ministry. He's paralyzed with fear in response to the threat of one woman. 1 Kings 19 is really the story of Elijah in the pits of despair and discouragement and how God brought him out of it, brought him back to reality and restored him at least in some measure of usefulness. When we get through with this, you're going to see that Elijah was not restored to the same usefulness he had before this. I would like to say that everything works out great in the end, but I don't think it does. But we're going to trace Elijah's spiritual plunge and and the restoration that God gave him, at least the restoration in some measure. And we need to pay careful attention to the principles found in Elijah's example because Christians are not exempt from despair. We're not exempt from discouragement or depression. And if you don't think that Christians get depressed and you are naive and you've been living a, a spiritually sheltered life or you haven't been honest with yourself because you get depressed and I get depressed and we need to understand what God says about it and how to deal with it. In fact, because of the spiritual struggles that we're involved in, we are probably above all people more prone to go through these things of discouragement and despair and depression, whatever you want to call it, than other people. And the more involved you are in serving the Lord Jesus Christ, the more you'll have to deal with the temptation of discouragement, that, that, that temptation to just give in and quit. Take a back seat and let others serve the Lord. Have others gone through discouragement? Is Elijah the only one? Am I the only one who can say that I've been depressed too? No. History bears it out. Charles Spurgeon, who was called the Prince of Preachers in the 1800s, was used mightily of the Lord. And this is what he had to say. The great Charles Spurgeon said, I am the, the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. John Henry Jowett, who may not be familiar to some of you, but was a great preacher in England and also in New York City in the early 1900s, said this. He wrote to a friend in 1920, and this is what he said to his friend. You seem to imagine that I have no ups and downs, but just a level of lofty stretch of, of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy. By no means. I am often perfectly wretched, and everything appears most murky. Just recently, I had the privilege of being with a Christian leader in Chicago who told me that after giving himself all day on Sunday and preaching the word of God and, and the exaltation of the ministry of the word on Sunday and giving himself all day, he said, I just, by Monday night, I spiritually crash. Well, First Kings 19 is Elijah's Monday evening. He is spiritually about to crash. And God pulls back the curtain and says, I want you to learn from my prophet. I want you to learn about discouragement. I want you to know how I handle it and what I think of it and how to deal with it. And the contrast between chapter 18 and chapter 19 is incredible. 
Because chapter 18, in it, we've seen one ecstatic experience after another that Elijah's had. He's been used of the Lord to challenge and defeat 450 false prophets. He's called down fire from heaven. He's seen Israel confess, at least the sons of Israel that were on the mountain, they've confessed that the Lord, he's God. Jehovah, he's God. He's personally slain 450 prophets, personally. He's fervently prayed for rain, and God has given rain, and there's a thunderstorm that came after three and a half years of being silent. And he's just outran Ahab's chariot over a 20-mile course. So it's just been one ecstatic experience, dramatic experience after another. And now he crashes. He is down. And this man, who was so fearless and so courageous, we're going to see he's just full of fear, and he is cowardly. And we want to trace the spiritual plunge, his restoration. We want to find answers in the Word of God about our own struggles with this. And I'm convinced that if we, if we understand three basic truths that come out of, of this chapter, three basic truths about discouragement, that we'll be better equipped to deal with our own struggles of discouragement and depression. We want to look, first of all, the first basic truth is the cause of Elijah's discouragement. Why was he? What, what was the bottom line to Elijah's discouragement? Then the characteristic of Elijah's discouragement, what is it that characterizes when a person is discouraged? And finally, the cure for Elijah's discouragement. Let's first of all look at the cause of his discouragement. And I don't believe that we need to start with chapter 19. I think we need to first go back to chapter 18, verse 45 and 46. So it came about in a little while that the sky grew black with clouds and, and winds. And there was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he outran Ahab to Jezreel. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more so, if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid, and he rose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, he left his servant there. Now let me explain to you what's really happening behind the scenes in Elijah's mind. Have you ever wondered why Elijah ran ahead of Ahab's chariot? I mean, was he just trying to impress the guy? No. There's probably a number of reasons. Humility, uh, showing that, that he was really a servant to Ahab, that he didn't have anything personally against him. He wanted to be his forerunner. Maybe he wanted to get back there and support Ahab. But I'll tell you the main reason I believe that Elijah ran ahead and went to Jezreel and ran ahead of the chariot of Ahab was that he, he fully expected that once Ahab explained to Jezebel the events that had taken place on Mount Carmel, that she would have given up her idolatry, that there would be a national revival that would come to Israel, that Jehovah would be reinstated and, and recognized again as the Lord God of Israel. And I think that, that Elijah went there to wait all of this out. He fully expected that this is what would take place. He expected repentance and the Jewish people once again putting the Lord God on the throne. So Elijah's got great expectations as he hangs around the city of Jezreel, which was where Ahab and Jezebel, his wife, were. So he's hanging around there where I don't know exactly, but he's hanging around while Ahab breaks the news to his wife. Now I could imagine their conversation when Ahab went into the palace and uh, had to tell 
Jezebel all that took place. Now, Jezebel was a difficult person. You're going to see this. But I can imagine their conversation went something like this. She said, well, Ahab, how did everything go on the mountain today? I see there's rain, so uh, my prophets did well, huh? Well, Jezzy, not exactly. Maybe we'll talk about it in the morning. And knowing Jezebel, she might have said something like this. Ahab, you little worm, you just tell me right now what happened. I want to know now, not in the morning. Well, if you insist, dear. Elijah, he didn't say the Lord did this, by the way. He said, Elijah, he's the troublemaker. Elijah has mocked your prophets. He called down fire from heaven. When everyone saw, saw it, they cried, the, the Lord, Jehovah, he's God. Honey, he killed each prophet personally. He told me it would rain, and then he ordered me home, and he outran my chariot, Elijah. That's what he's done it all. If you want to know what happened, blame Elijah. Now, upon hearing this news, the average person would have repented. I mean, normal thinking people would have repented. She should have abdicated the throne, abandoned idolatry, got out of Israel, made a friend of Elijah or ran or something like that, given up her idolatry. But when you're dealing with Jezebel, you're not dealing with a normal person. In fact, she's so wicked. She is so wicked that in Revelation chapter 2, when the Lord Jesus addresses the church at Thyatira, he refers to an evil woman who is corrupting the saints and leading them astray. He calls her Jezebel. Now, I don't think that was her real name, but I think that, that Jezebel, that name, because of the wickedness of, of Ahab's wife, had become so, uh, she was so wicked that it became, down through the years, synonymous with idolatry and corruption and the seduction of God's people. Instead of being intimidated by this news, she's furious. And she sends a message to Elijah, threatening him with death. And when he gets the message, he runs for his life. Now, the crucial question to ask at this point is, why? Why did Elijah run? Why would a man who stood up to Ahab 450 false prophets and taken on all of Israel be afraid of one woman? I know we men can relate to that, but the question still is, why? Why? Which, by the way, and this is a footnote, which, by the way, I think that Jezebel's threat was an empty threat. Now, I can't prove this by Scripture, but I firmly believe that Jezebel would never have touched Elijah. You say, why? Well, at this point, Elijah is just too popular. He's too popular to be killed. He's a hero in Israel. Maybe not with Jezebel, but he's a hero in Israel. And if she really thought she could get away with it, why does she have to wait till tomorrow? Why not kill him now? No, she just wanted him to flee, to get away. In other words, she's saying, I'm going to give you a chance, Elijah. Get out of the country and stay out. We never want to hear from you again. I think it was an empty threat. But the question still is, why would Elijah run? Why would he flee? This man had experienced God's protection by, by the brook. He experienced God's protection at Zarephath. Why couldn't he trust the Lord one more time for his protection from Jezebel? You know why Elijah ran? You know what was the cause, the root cause of his discouragement? Elijah, now, now listen, Elijah anticipated a great national revival. And when Jezebel's threat came to him, his dreams and his hopes were shattered. 
He was taken completely by surprise and he was overwhelmed by broken expectations. You see, Elijah had it all figured out. Well, they'll get the news, they'll repent, they'll, they'll maybe abandon even the throne, they'll, they'll leave their idolatry, Israel will come back to the Lord. And when it didn't happen, he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle the disappointment. And you say, wait a minute, Steve. All of us have disappointments in life, but we don't fall apart. We don't run away from life's responsibilities. Why was this different? Well, it was different. And you're right, all of us do have disappointments in life. Why was Elijah's situation different? The reason Elijah couldn't cope with this disappointment, this particular disappointment, that he was physically and he was emotionally drained. The man was spent. His tank was empty. He is exhausted. After all, just think about it. In one day, not over a period of time, but in one day, he's had that Mount Carmel experience. He's had to face that satanic pressure of confronting the prophets, the fervency of prayer, the killing of the prophets, 450 of them. Killing 450 men, imagine that. And, and running ahead of Ahab's chariot, all of this. I mean, this man, as James says, is a man of like passions. He's just like us. He is drained. He's extended himself to the breaking point. And because of his weariness, he couldn't cope with anything especially disappointment. And he responded to Jezebel's threats like a natural man, fear. Because he was tired, Elijah was vulnerable to Satan's attack of discouragement. And Elijah did something at this point that he seldom did in his life. In fact, this is the first time, and the only time for that matter, that we're ever told that he did that. He took his eyes off of the Lord and he put his eyes onto circumstances. And when he saw his circumstances, he was like everybody else and he fled. He was fearful. You know, many times discouragement comes to us when we're tired, when we're weary, when we're drained, when we're physically and emotionally exhausted. And, and the discouragement comes because God does something we don't expect him to do. We've got it all figured out how the Lord's going to work. And the Lord changes our plans in his own sovereign way. And we don't expect it. And we get our eyes off of the Lord because we don't understand what's going on. It's not going according to the way we planned it. And Satan comes in and he uses that. And he discourages us. We get our eyes on circumstances off of the Lord and we're down in the dumps. You know, it's not by accident that Satan came to the Lord Jesus and tempted him when he was in the wilderness, when he was weary and when he was hungry. That's when he tempted him. And when we're tired, we tend to let down our guard and we react as natural people rather than spiritual people. And I think we need to learn from, from Elijah. There's a lot of lessons here, but one that stands out in my mind is don't try to figure out what the Lord's going to do. Let the Lord be the Lord. Don't put him in a little box and have it all figured out how he's going to work. Work. Elijah had everything planned. Israel would repent, national revival, recognition of Jehovah. But it didn't happen that way. And he just couldn't cope with that disappointment. You're discouraged. You're going through a deep time of depression these days. Maybe it's because your eyes are off of the Lord. Well, obviously it's because your eyes are off of the Lord. You thought the Lord ought to work this way, and he didn't work that way, and you're disappointed. You're really down. You're just disappointed because God didn't fit your mold, your image. You know, previous to this, we find Elijah very flexible. Nothing seems to disturb him. When the word of the Lord came and said, get to the brook, he goes to the brook. The word of the Lord comes, says, go out of the country, go to Zarephath, have a widow, take care. 
No problem, he goes. But now his eyes are off the Lord and fear grips him. And in disobedience to God, he runs for his life. You know how far he ran? Ran to Beersheba, which is 120 miles south of Jezreel. I mean, this guy's gone. Elijah thought he had God's plan all figured out. When things didn't turn out the way he expected, he was upset. That sounds a lot like how we react, doesn't it? On the next verse-by-verse program, we'll see how God worked with Elijah to cure his disappointment. Thank you for being a part of the class today. If you would like to listen to this study again, go to our website, versebyverseradio.org, and listen to it there or download it for future use. There are many messages that you will find helpful to your understanding of Scripture. They are all free for the taking. You may also want to subscribe to our free podcasting service so you don't miss a single message. We also offer a free quarterly newsletter written by Pastor Steve. Just sign up to receive it free of charge. It takes effort and money to keep this program on the air. If you would like to help support this ministry, you can give online, over the phone. Our phone number is 727-239-0306. The website is versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G. Just click on the Support Us tab. Our mailing address is Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Until next time, this is your announcer, Jerry Pruden, saying thanks for listening to Verse by Verse. Faith Talk 570, W. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com